Hello and welcome to Switzer TV. This is our first program for 2020. This goes out every Monday night on our own YouTube channel for the Switzer Financial Group. Now, before I start, just let me give you a recap of what I think is going to happen this year in 2020. In case you missed it, though you probably didn't, this has been a great start to the stock market year. After a ripper of one in 2019, the gain since the start of uh, 2020 is 5.7%, and that is just one of the, the best performances in recent times. Now, but the question is, how long can it last? Since the middle of last year, I was telling my Switzer Report subscribers and my financial planning clients that President Donald Trump needed a trade deal before the November election this year. The pressure of this impeachment now for Mr. Trump and its possible bad election effects means keeping his Wall Street customers satisfied is crucial. In a sense, he needs a bridge over troubled political waters and a rising stock market and an improving economy constitute the strongest political bridges he can make or mend before the end of the year poll. I expect some sell-off pressure this year, but I do also expect ultimately there will be rebounds. This is the fourth year of a US presidency, and this historically is the second best year for stocks. The US economy is on the rise, with the trade deal a plus. China should also do better because of the trade deal this year. And the repair spending post-bushfires here will help the Oz economy local companies and ultimately share prices. So the year should be good for stocks, but it's now up to us to show you what companies will help you bring home the bacon. And to do exactly that, we have my good colleagues, Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets and Julia Lee from Vermin Invest. We have the MD of AFIC, Mark Freeman, and Paul Rickard will come on the program to talk about whether he thinks AFIC is a good investment or not. Plus, he has his own view on what might happen to dividends this year. So without any further ado, let's go and talk to Michael McCarthy and Julia Lee. Okay, without any further ado, let's go to our experts who had a great year investing last year. A lot of the feedback from you out there has been how impressed you've been with these guys. I don't know why they're so good. Um, maybe because they hang out with me. <laughs> no, I am famous for picking good company, and you guys, you guys are a good company. All right, let's be honest. Uh, we'll, we'll get to your best and worst calls. But what do you think is going to happen this year on, for stocks, uh, Julia? First of all, last year was a fantastic year yeah. for the Australian market, up 25% if you include dividends. And when you see the markets rise like that, a lot of people get scared off. So I thought, you know, I'd do what I do, which is crunch the numbers and go back in time. So yep. I had a look at the global share markets from 1970, so the MSCI index, mm -hmm. and have a, had a look at all the times there was a double-digit return like we saw yep. last year. Yep. And there's been 26 instances, and in 19 out of the 26, the next year has been a positive one. Mm -hmm. So generally, when you see these double-digit returns, it's a sign of strength rather than weakness. Yep. I guess from a fundamental point of view, what you want to start to see is earnings start to kick in as liquidity dials down yep. but at the moment we've still got liquidity being added to the market and what I mean by that is the Federal Reserve pumping money into the US economy yep. and over here in Australia interest rates probably falling by another notch in February but once that stimulus starts to stop off you really want to see companies with an underlying strength coming through yeah Michael 
Modestly positive, Peter, with once again big swings. Mm. I think that's the way it's going to go. And, and from a strategy point of view, I don't think we've got a big difference from last year. An overall long bias and a willingness to be active, to mm. take advantage, particularly at the stock level. We've seen so many stocks last year, big stocks, top mm. stocks, mm. that were up or down 20% more than once during the course of the year. Yeah. And so it's important not to just look at the index, but look at those individual stocks and to act. One thing I'll be doing this year, Peter, and what's right, it depends on an individual investor's portfolio and approach, but what I'll be doing this year is doubting the extremes of sentiment. So at the moment, everything's rosy. It's all wonderful. Trade disputes yeah. all gone. Yeah. I'm doubting that. Yeah. At the same time, when people are telling us that we're all going to hell in a handbasket, mm. I'll be buying. So that's, that's going to be my approach this year, to try and take advantage of that increased volatility. Mm. There's nothing wrong with getting the market return when the yeah. market's up 25%, but if it's up 7 to 10% this year, mm. P people might look back at me and say, I wish I'd done more. Yeah, so, so basically you're saying, if you looked at the trend for stocks over here, it's up, but there's going to be volatility and you want to be buying the dips, particularly quality companies, uh, when the market's just overreacting. Absolutely. Okay, great. Just to look at, let's boast first, your best calls for last year, Julia, and then we'll look at your worst calls after that. Well, I had to go back and go through about 50 different documents and put all the numbers together. Yeah. The best calls were the ones that were earlier on. So February last year was uh, Afterpay. Actually, that was January. Okay. It's up 135%. Magellan in February, mm. that's up 95%. And Baby Bunting also in February, which mm. is up 65%. So look, I think some of those later calls, uh, given the 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 passage of time might yeah. see some strong returns as well, but yeah. generally the ones And we'll earlier. come back to your 2020 calls in a moment. Your worst call? Uh, uh, the other one is I had some sell calls as well. Yeah, okay. So they're quite interesting. Um, Wagner's, um, after the February reporting season, I had it as a sell, and that's actually down 13%. But what's interesting about Wagner's is I've changed my views, building materials, and I'm very positive on building materials at yeah. the moment here in Australia, especially domestic focus, but also US exposed ones like James Hardy as well. Um, the other sell call was NIB, so mm. NHF is the stock code after the August reporting season. And of course, today, once again, we saw a pretty big downgrade coming mm. through for NIB. Is there, is there a, a way which you work out when you're going to dump a stock. You know, do you have a, a method? Because you know, you've been, say, supporting a stock, then it starts to disappoint you. When do you get out? I have a few different filters for dumping a stock. Mm. I guess generally I like to look at technicals as Michael yeah. uh, does for entry and exit points. Mm. So when I'm selecting a stock, I like to have a look at the underlying business. But in terms of timing the price, I like to look at technicals. And I also, I'll let you in on a secret if you like. Mm. I have um, just a general dumping rule, <laughs> if yeah. you like. Yeah, I thought you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> to try and get out of stocks early because one of the biggest mistakes I've made in the past is holding on to those losers. So generally, as a rule of thumb, that mm. point is 7% in one session. If a stock falls 7% in one session, it changes for each stock, but generally it's around that 7% mark. Mm. Some stocks are just volatile, yeah. and so that point is but higher. But one of your best calls after pay, it would have fallen 7% in one session, wouldn't it? Because it's, it's been quite volatile. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. So after pay, is, <laughs> so after pay <laughs> is one of those uh, mm. which is a lot more volatile, so yeah. it has a much higher measure yeah. before I jump out yeah. of that particular stock. Otherwise, I, I would have been yeah. out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so for, a, for a, a stock that's or a, or a company that's not generally overreactive, when it drops 7%, that's a real a warning sign for you. So basically, if a stock moves similar to the market mm. um, and it drops 7% in one session, then I jump yeah. out and reevaluate. Michael, your best calls? 
Well, I don't tend to think of them that way, Peter. Uh, but some, some of the ones that worked, I started the year 2019 looking at consumer stocks. I yeah. thought that they were undervalued yeah. and that any upswing... JB Hi-Fi, you're a fan of. JB Hi-Fi, yeah. Harvey Norman, you didn't have to be too brave here. But if you were and you went to stocks like LaVissa and Kogan, yeah. you'd have done well. Yeah. Later on in the year, we talked more about fund managing stocks and like Julia's gains in Magellan. I, I did well out of Challenger and Platinum Asset Management yeah. and they're still going well at the moment. Mm. So some of those themes work quite well. Um, one of those consumer stocks I bought into, the food stock Costa, mm. was great for half a year and has turned terrible. Uh, so and, and you've kind of stuck with it, haven't you? Have I you have. changed? You're, you're sticking with it? I, absolutely. In fact, Peter, it was one of the top performing stocks today, up 2.5%. Mm. Okay. Um, it's back up. It traded 280 today, closed around 275 My break even in the stock, because I took up the placement mm. at $2.40, is just over $3. Mm. So I'm a l only a little away from break even mm. on it now, and I'm sticking with and it. I think you and I had a talk about this, that... If you take a, a longer view of Costa Group and the fact that China will be buying stuff from it, it's probably got upside, but you have to be patient. Absolutely. Mm. And Absolutely. coming back to one of my worst calls, I, I guess um, my, one of my worst calls oh, well, was... Well, you were uh, a Visa girl as well, by the way. You, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Out. But that wasn't the worst. Um, New Farm was one of my worst, and that was because I was trying to time the cycle. Because yeah. um, if you look at Costa Group as well as New Farm, they've been exposed to what's happening in terms of the drought. And my mm. thought was, you know, it doesn't not rain forever at some point you will start to see more normalized weather um, conditions yeah. but unfortunately there has been a prolonged drought and we have seen um, those type of companies continually affected my worst one though was smart group which was in august um, and if you had it held it till now it's down 42 percent i got out on the 18th of october so that general um, selling rule, I guess, that was down 7% that day on a high amount of volume and an abnormal amount. Is it a contrarian play now? Because it has really copped it, hasn't it? You know me, I, I just, I don't like to be in things that go down, so I tend to be in things that are moving upwards. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I'm not the brave goes. investor that goes yeah. contrarian and jumps in, I just okay. don't have. Uh, Michael, um, when, do you, when do you dump a stock? I, I try and define when I'm going to dump a stock before I go into it. Mm. Right? Okay. At, at a price level that I could say, I've got this one wrong. Speedcast mm. was my worst stock this year. And, and that was exactly what happened. Yep. At $2, I thought it looked pretty attractive. Mm. But at $1.40, I had to sell out mm. because it had just destroyed all my risk management techniques. And, mm. and I had to acknowledge I'm wrong. Now it's 95 cents or so. It's still on my radar, Peter. I think this stock is undervalued and I'm looking for a squeeze of those short sellers. Mm. But the price momentum is against me at the moment. I'm going to wait for this one. What's your return price on Speedcast for you? Uh, what Where will I come in? Yeah. What I wanted to see is a break the 124 high that we've seen previously. There have been a number of attempts to sort of bust right. the shorts yeah. and shove it up. Uh, they failed so far. So that suggests there's plenty of firepower yeah. with the shorts. You are at convincing the uptrend before you get in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go and talk about 2020. What's your like for 2020? Yeah. <laughs> well, I still like EML payments. It's yeah. a, a newbie in the ASX 200, but it's one of the few companies which is forecast to increase uh, earnings quite substantially over the next two years. So yeah. I like the growth profile. I like the acquisition they made last year mm. in Europe in the financial services space to allow white labeling of services. And look, they've made um, inroads in terms of the contracts they've been winning as well. They haven't been off to a great start in January, but given their performance, Last year, yeah, they had a lot a of performance of in uh, November, December, didn't yeah, they? It yeah, was yep, uh, Mike. Well, I'd go for themes, Peter, and once again, I'm looking at the beaten up ones. I am concerned about the very high levels 
of uh, property stocks, mm. that sector near trading near its all-time highs. Uh, I'm also a bit concerned about the healthcare sector, but I'm not speaking about CSL. Mm. I cannot pick that stock. Yeah. Um, but I'm also concerned too about utilities. They have come off a little, off about 7% from the highs, but still very elevated and still very dependent on a low interest rate environment. Mm. Now, that could well be the case over the course of the year, but any hints that global growth is accelerating and central banks might start thinking about higher levels means that the bailout from these sectors when it comes will be very severe and I believe very sharp. So I don't, I don't want to go into those sectors. I'm looking at the, the areas where there's not a lot of exposure. I'm a natural contrarian, as we know. So mm. uh, one of the things I'm looking at the moment is the banks themselves. Yeah, I was going to ask that question. Uh, ANZ mm. at the moment at just over $25. That mm. looks pretty good to mm. me. Now, I, I'm not going into NAB or Westpac. I believe that they've got ongoing issues and I wouldn't buy AMP with your money, Peter. But, <laughs> but um, I think CBA and ANZ look very interesting at current levels. They're mm. very underestimated. I think a lot of the problems have been exposed and priced in. These two have come out relatively cleanly or, or have dealt with the issues. Yeah. Uh, and I suspect that they, no, those big cap stocks <laughs> might be very okay. good. Okay. Now, what about your, your long-time supporter, Julia Lee? What do you think about the banks? Uh, look, I think there's... I would like to back the banks once there's... Uh, I guess uh, um, a view on when interest rates are going to start right stop falling here in Australia at yeah. least. So, um, look, I'd probably on, be on the sidelines. I understand that there's value in them mm. and the yield still looks relatively attractive. But for me, it's when interest rates look like they've stopped dropping that, mm. um, and I think that might be in the second half of this yeah. year. Because I, I think the Reserve Bank would like not to cut in February, but the bushfires are such that they may well just do it to help the economy. But the bottom line is what the federal government and the state governments will spend should push up economic growth in the second half of this year. If we grow faster, I think the banks will do a lot more business and that could be good for them across the year, I think. Absolutely. Well, that's my um, experts who I love catching up with on Monday, Julia Lee from Vermin Invest and Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets. Mark, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. So let's just talk us through the main points of your report today. Oh, well, look, we had a very good six months. Um, we were comfortably ahead of the market. Uh, probably some of the key features of uh, the portfolio over that period is we've been on a path of, um, I guess, increasing the holdings in the companies that we really like, uh, given long-term prospects. Um, a couple of years ago, we had around 94, 95 stocks. We're down to 70 now. We've probably come to about that level. But it was really going through and saying, you know, these are very uncertain times. We have to make sure we're in companies that we think have strong competitive advantage, uh, good growth prospects, well run, and make sure we make those bigger in the overall portfolio. So we've pretty much done that now, and we're pretty comfortable with the stocks we've got. Um, obviously, the market's been very strong over the last few months. Um, what we do in those 10 periods, we tend to just hold on to what we've got. We're close to fully invested, probably about 1.5% in cash. Uh, we've got a dividend we've got to pay out soon. So um, we did notice, though, in terms of our profit, the underlying profit was down just slightly, but there's obviously been a, uh, some weakness in bank dividends um, during, um, well, really over the last couple of years. So 
Um, overall, we think the portfolio is now very strong in position. We're very comfortable with our holdings and we're looking forward to reporting season now. Okay. Now, I noticed that CSL is now, what, 7% of your total holdings. Now, has that happened because you've actually decided to buy more CSL or as you took away lots of the other stocks, it proportionately became more important? No, no, we've been consistently investing more and more in that company. Um, we, we haven't paid $300 yet, though, for a stock, which is where it's mm. trading, so that's over that. But, no, we, we've been consistently adding um, to that over really the last five years. And uh, I think it's one of those stocks that every time we see them, um, we think the business has actually been getting stronger and stronger with that with that competitive advantage has actually been improving over time and there's still plenty of growth prospects in front of it. So um, we just pushed harder to make sure we had a good position and um, the stock's really run hard since then. So we're, we're, we'd really just be a holder now, but we're very thankful we've got a nice big position. Okay, now one thing I've got to talk to you about clearly is dividends because a lot of people have bought your, your stock uh, Affic, because it, you've been a good dividend payer in the past and you've cut it from 18 cents down to 10 and uh, the I guess going forward the trailing yield is around 3.3% which is very low for you guys. So what's the view on dividends? Why is it going to be so low, Mark? Okay, just remember that um, the underlying dividend is being sustained. We paid a special dividend last year. We participated in some off-market buybacks because we're worried about there was going to be a, uh, there was a change in government, there yep. was going to be a change in the franking credit rules, and we felt it was important to get uh, those dividends out to shareholders. So that was a, a stated special dividend. So we've maintained the yield. Um, I think why the yield looks a little bit lower, that, that number sounds a little bit low to me, but the share price has been very strong and had been trading um, ahead of NTA. Um, the way I look at it is our, our yield against the market um, if you use the NTA, the net tangible asset backing, would be just be slightly below the market. But when you include franking, we'd be about the same as the market. And uh, the reason for that is um, investments such as CSL, which we think is a wonderful company, you don't get a lot of yield from that uh, business. Mm. Um, and I think increasingly we've been putting more money into, if I think back to some of the transactions we've done more recently, um, we topped up our Goodman Group Um Six to 12 months ago, we bought stocks like James Hardy. These are all fantastic global businesses that have strong growth, but they are on a lower yield. And increasingly mm. over time, the percentage we have in banks has been declining uh, through a number of factors. One would be the fact that they keep having DRPs and we tend not to go in them. So your holding naturally gets diluted. Um, we have a DRP ourselves and we've been investing generally away from banks. Um, and other sectors have performed strongly. So the weighting in the portfolio has become less exposed to the banks, which are the high-yielding, fully-frank parts of the market. So there's sort of been a natural process where the yield has been declining. So I still feel comfortable that our yield, when we include frankings, is still around the market. But we think the stocks we have now will give us better growth in dividends over the long time. Mm. So I guess we want to be yield, but our starting position is we have to be in good companies. Okay, so what about um, the fact that um, you have cut back your exposure to banks? Um, is this something that's going to continue or are you happy with the proportion that you're holding right now? No, we're happy with what we've got now. I mean, there's clearly a lot of headwinds on the sector. Um, you know, they've had to hold more capital. 
a huge amount of costs now sit on those businesses to um, you know, for all the regulatory requirements, for et cetera. So uh, um, growth is slow. Um, you know, obviously, the housing market's not going to get back to where it was. So there, there's a lot of headwinds on that industry. But you know, we've seen this before when um, industries go under pressure. It doesn't always stay like that forever. They're still a very much a leverage play on the Australian economy. We're long-term investors. So you know, the, the questions we ask ourselves is, Yes, they're under pressure now, but is that going to be the same in five years' time or in 10 years' time? Um, and so we're happy to hold it. The franking is still very important. Um, and in fact, you know, there might be a time when we look to buy more or put more money into them if we think conditions can start to improve. Um, if your starting base is 6 6.5% fully franked, you don't need a lot of growth for it to be a good sound investment. So that's something we're looking out for. We're not saying right. going to change short term, but we just have to be aware that it is a sector that's out of favour and under pressure, and not all sectors stay like that forever. Okay. Well, on the subject of sectors out of favour, what is AFIC's approach to ESG uh, considerations? Um, for example, coal and carbon intensive industries. Are you planning to reduce your exposure to those sorts of companies? Well, we don't have any pure play uh, thermal coal businesses in the portfolio anyway. Um, we, we own BHP and Rio, but that coal is really uh, coking coal, which they use to make steel. But the whole concept of ESG, um, it, is a, it is an important part of our investment process because as a long-term investor, one of the criteria we're looking for is businesses that have a sustainable model into the future. And when you're analysing that, you need to think about these issues. So if we think there's a company we hold that may have some of these issues into the future, that clearly comes in our in our assessment of the business quality. Um, and therefore, um, we're likely to want to exit companies that we think might have issues into the future. So it is actually a natural part of our assessment of businesses. Even, okay, if, we no. even if we don't directly call it ESG, Sustainability of a business model is critical to us. Okay. Now, my final question to you is this: You know, you, clearly you have a team of people who um, do, do the considerations about the companies that you want to invest in. What is the general view for 2020? Is the feeling that okay, 2019 was a great year uh, for the Australian stock market? Do you have a positive outlook for 2020, or maybe less um, aggressive? Well, I've been doing this for quite a while now, and uh, one of my predecessors who taught me well said, we're doing this for a long time, and my view on the market is I've got no idea. Uh, it doesn't give you a very good answer, but I don't think anyone could have predicted 12 months ago the market would be where it is now. So we're not really big on giving predictions. I mean, obviously, the fall in interest rates has been a considerable driver of the strength of the market rather than the growth in earnings. And ultimately, in the long term, Markets are more tied to the earnings growth rather than these movements in macro trends or economic trends or, to some extent, interest rates. Now, interest rates is a big factor, so we need to think about that going forward. Um, so probably in the shorter term, uh, my concern would be we're going into reporting season. You do have stocks on high multiples. If they disappoint on earnings, you can get a lot of volatility in share prices. Um, that's an issue. We just need to make sure we're in good quality companies. We tend to ride the ups and downs. That's the biggest issue for us is do we have investments in companies that can grow into the future, that have strong positions? Uh, where the market goes from here, it's it's very tough. I mean, at face value, it looks pretty poor. 
There are elements that feel like money chasing assets, which is always a point to be wary. And when you started a market, now it's over 7,000, you still, you do have to think about that your risk reward is starting to move against you to some extent. But um, look, we'll, we'll hold on to our companies and, and see what happens. Okay. Well, Mark, I should say you should watch my program more often. I did tip 7,000 uh, at the beginning of 2019, <laughs> but I do have to say I did tip it at the beginning of 2018 as well. Didn't expect <laughs> a, a trade. I didn't expect the trade war. I've been seeing you tip the, Yeah, the promise of three interest rate rises by the US Fed, but at least it came one wow. year late, but we got there. Mark, thanks yeah. for joining us on the program. Uh, anytime. Now, I want to talk to my colleague Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report about AFIC. AFIC historically has been a pretty good dividend payer. Paul, do you think those days are over? Look, it's sounding that way, Peter. I mean, of course, it has been a great dividend payer. It is the largest uh, listed investment company in Australia with mm. eight, $8 billion under management, mm. lots, hundreds of thousands of shareholders. Mm. And, uh, you know, typically this year, I mean, if we're looking at the dividend today, they've cut their interim back to 10 cents. Mm. The final dividend they paid last year was 14 cents, so that's probably around 24 cents for the last 12 months. That puts AFIC on a prospective dividend or a trailing dividend yield of just 3.3%. Now, that's below the market, Peter. Yeah. By the uh, market, you mean the ASX 200 index and what the dividend comes out of. Yeah, the weighted average, if you add up all the stocks, Mm. all the dividends that all the companies pay, you divide by the market capitalisation. Get closer to four percent. So, look, AFIC has sort of moved away from this, and I think they've gone into a bit like many others, chasing growth. So, it'd be interesting to see how some of the investors react yeah. to the. Because uh, I would thought older investors would be upset. Younger investors probably think pretty good growth is great, but older investors are thinking, well, I like the reliability of my dividends. Yeah, well, it does highlight one of the challenges that we've had this in, in the last couple of years in the market, Peter. We've had a lot of emphasis on growth. We've had mm. a lot of emphasis on momentum stocks. The so-called, uh, you know, the dividend payers in terms of the major banks and uh, mm. the retailers and, and Telstra and a few others, they've been left behind a bit yeah. uh, as the market shifted into some of the technology and some of the companies like CSL. Now, CSL pays a dividend, Peter, but mm. it's just 1%. Yeah. And CSL is uh, uh, AFIC's second biggest holding. Yeah. So it, it is starting to sound like a growth um, investor as opposed to a dividend-paying investor. They've always been both, but the dividends have been fairly reliably high, haven't they? They have been, and they do have a, a fairly uh, aged uh, investor base who've yeah. got used to that fully frank dividend. Who could so be cheesed off tonight. Well, I think should be looking at particularly at some of the listed investment companies. I mean, AFIC is one that I've written about in the Switzer report, Peter. It's pretty expensive. Mm. I actually think there's a bit of a sell on that stock. Is it a premium now, is it? It's, it's actually at a premium. So we had a remarkable thing happen in, in the sort of the thin trading window uh, in late December, a lot of the major listed investment companies went, went from discount to premium. Mm. Uh, and despite the rally in January, that sort of continued. So um, I think they're actually rather expensive compared to what you, the value you might pick up by just investing in a pretty boring uh, but reliable exchange-traded fund. Yeah, okay. So, Paul, you have a theory around dividends for this year because interest rates are so low. You think that most of us, including me, you've often castigated me for being too optimistic about dividends. You think they're coming down. Tell I've what. been trying to talk you down, Peter. That's right. Because I don't uh, like being talked down. Doesn't on. like being talked yeah. down yeah. 
But uh, I think people got used to a, a really an exceptional 2019. So you have to be careful. Yeah. 2020 for income pace is not going to be the same as last right. year. There were a couple of really extraordinary things happened last year. Well, really one extraordinary mm. thing, and that was the old Bill Shorten effect, right? Yeah, Bill Shorten. And effect. of course, if you, if you take go back 12 months when uh, Bill Shorten was going to um, abolish uh, or effectively change the rules around franking credits. Mm. A lot of companies, a lot of boards around Australia looked at, at their dividends, they looked at their surplus of franking credits. And so we had a number of things happen. Many, many companies paid out special dividends, they won't be repeated. Yep. Many others, for example, like BHP and Rio and Woolworths, uh, did off-market buybacks, which mm. also got franking credits in the, in, the, in the hands of shareholders. And yet others um, also just advanced the timing of their dividends so they got it into the 2018-19 financial the year election. rather than mm. the 2019-20 financial year. So yeah. we had the Bill Shorten uh, factor was really, really big. Mm. Set, so that's number one. But secondly, there's, there's, there's two other important things. Firstly, secondly, the market's 25% higher. Mm. Now, if markets go up by 25%, Unless price, earnings yeah. go up by 25%, effectively your dividend yields come down because yeah. the ability of companies mm. to pay dividends... So they might be paying approximately the same amount of dollars or cents, but because the price has gone up, the percentage yields go down. Okay. Exactly. It's just the pure mathematics, yeah. Peter. And of course, if you've got the same money to invest, you're able to buy less shares. So yeah. the company pays out the same amount per share, but you can't buy as many shares. So effectively your return goes down. So. Yeah. We, and we've had 25% now between what happened in 2019 mm. and the first, you know, 15 or 16, whatever it is, 19 mm. days, 20 days of 2020. So yeah. that's how much the market has gone up. Earnings have not gone up by anywhere near as mm. much. So that's the second reason. So you have to be really, that's going to have a big impact. And then the third reason, Peter, is we're still having companies reduce payouts. So mm. we've got uh, the major banks, they'll all be reducing their payout ratios, and that's partly because of capital. Telstra's reduced its payout. We've had a really strong year for the resource companies, BHP and Rio. That may continue because yeah. iron ore prices mm. uh, have been high, but there's still some doubt on that. So we, get it, we are still in a trend of lower payout ratios as the market starting to value growth as mm. opposed to income. So mm. uh, I think if you got used to a really high dividend yields in, in 2019, mm. you've got to get used to lower yields in 2020. Yeah. But if, if we said, let's take the Bill Shorten year out, if a lot of people were used to seeing dividends coming through like 5% plus 2% for Franklin, 7.5%, yeah. you'd be saying, you'd be th th thinking 3 or 4% plus Franklin. So you might be looking at 5 to 6% I think, I think investors need to start focusing on bigger figure three. Yeah. The market might just get it, get up to the very high threes, mm. but I mean the bank's still going to be up there. Mm. But you know, a good dividend yield will start with a figure of four. Yeah. And uh, that's my, uh, yeah, remember. And also, Paul, the fact that interest rates are so yeah. low, that also has an impact on dividends. Yeah, too. look, absolutely. So ultra low interest rates, uh, you know, 0.75% is the RBA. Mm. Let's hope the RBA doesn't cut again mm. uh, next or the week after next, Peter. Yeah. But uh, with the bushfires, with the bushfires, yeah. they might. You know, they might. We've yeah. never seen interest rates as low. So, you know, again, a 4% yield, particularly mm. if it's franked, which takes it up to almost six. Uh, it's still pretty good, okay. and it's a lot better than what you can get on a term deposit or leaving your money in the bank. And if you're an AFIC investor, have a look at Paul's story on the Switzer Report. You can get a free 21-day trial of the Switzer Report, which will give you a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this program, but in much more detail. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Peter.